Hello, hello, welcome, and welcome back to the United Mates Football Podcast. Today, as ever, I'm joined by my co-host, Joe, who is in London. Of course, I'm here on the west coast of the States, and we have a very special guest on the call with us as well, who's joining us from Germany. So we've got a particularly international podcast in store for you listeners. Today's guest is a football expert and consultant. She's an Arsenal fan like me, but she also has a soft spot for the new local teams in her life, and that's Borussia Mönchengladbach and Darmstadt. You can find her tweeting about all of the above, and you can also read her in-depth match reports and articles on tactical analysis on her website, That Baba Girl. There you'll also find her musings about some of the beautiful game's less told stories and about her life in general. Last but definitely not least, she's an advocate for awareness and acceptance surrounding mental health. We welcome Jasmine Baba to the United Mates Football Podcast. Jasmine, it is a real pleasure to have you with us. And how have you been doing today? me. Oh, it's it's very, very chilly in Germany right now. It was like, okay, two days ago, 10 degrees. I thought, yeah, we're through winter. And today it's the feel is minus 10 degrees right now. And it's really snowy. I don't know if you can see some of the snow <laughs> in the background. Yeah, I was trying to peek to see actually through that window. I can see the snow. Joe was just telling me likewise that it's it's been snowing in England. So maybe, yeah, Joe, tell us a little bit more about that. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think um, based on um, what it's like in Germany, where Jasmine is, it's very similar here in London. Um, yeah, it's a it's a snowy scene, which is qu- which is quite nice, I suppose, in a way, something to look outside the window at during lockdown. But um, Jasmine, it's um, it's a pleasure to have you on the show today. And what we always do with our guests is we ask them an icebreaker question to start the episode. So. Kai was mentioning earlier that obviously in Germany, one of your teams is Borussia Mönchengladbach. Mm-hmm. And we also noticed on Twitter that you like to tweet a fair number of TV show references like SpongeBob SquarePants and various other things like Malcolm in the Middle. So on the note of Gladbach and TV shows, today's icebreaker is what TV show that basically a TV show that isn't on TV anymore, what would you be glad to have back? Ooh, that's a difficult one. Okay, third frock from the sun. Okay. It's a brilliant comedy, which didn't seem to get like as much love as Frasier did or Friends did or Seinfeld. And I absolutely loved it growing up. And I think it's so hilarious, but it's (laughs) just not on anymore. That or Futurama. Oh yeah, that's a, that's a, a good solid choice as well. I hadn't seen the other one, but Futurama, I'm, I'm a big fan of. Kai, um, what what would you go for? What what do you want to bring back? Third Rock from the Sun takes me back. I think people slept on that quite a lot because I think it even had a young Joseph Gordon-Levitt was yeah. in that show. People don't really know him from that, but yeah, that's a good one. Otherwise, for me, taking it back, likewise to a cartoon. How you mentioned Futurama, King of the Hill is one of my like oh, criminally geez. underrated shows that people don't appreciate enough and. They did stop not that long ago, although the kind of later seasons weren't as good. But I think considering that it's kind of just like a satirical um, magnifying glass on America, if they were still making it today, the content would be pretty good. Joe, how about you? I think I'd have to go for Dream Team. Um, the the events <laughs> of Harchester United and like every season, somehow there'd be some tragic accident where the whole team would it was, I mean, it was the most, it was like EastEnders on crack or something. That, <laughs> But um, but it was, um, no, it was, um, it was a good show. So yeah, you know what, it'd be, it'd be fun to see a, a rebooted dream team at some point. No, definitely. Actually, Sky One, if you're, if you're listening, bring it back. Um, but now that we've sort of established some 
shows that we would be glad if they were back. Uh, moving on to a few more personal questions for you, Jasmine. So I guess tell us a little bit about yourself and football. How did you fall in love with the game and how did Arsenal become your club? I think, especially in England, most of these things are chosen for you. You don't get to pick, actually not even in England, the whole UK. So I'm the youngest of four in my family. I'm the youngest by quite a bit. So my eldest siblings are around 13, 10 years older than me. So I kind of grew up with them listening to and watching football and playing football. Um, I've got quite a big family when it comes to cousins as well. And I'm the youngest and both my parents are the youngest of their family. So I'm literally the youngest of a generation. So all my older lot were into football, playing football, especially in the boys. Um, actually, I say especially the boys. My sister was probably one of the better footballers throughout the, <laughs> throughout the family. And um, so it was kind of bestowed on me that football was a cultural thing that I'd enjoy. And Arsenal was my family's team. Uh, we're from Northwest London, so we weren't that far. Although if we were going actual local teams, it would probably would have been Queen's Park Rangers because, um, funny fact, the area that I'm from is where Queen's Park was founded. So I went to Queen's Park Community School. So by proximity, it would have been them, but... Yeah, it was Arsenal that I grew up with and watched all the time. And I think football became something that I regularly did with my family or watched or talked about. And I think it was when I was coming up to secondary school that it was my thing. I didn't never played it a lot. I never used, I wasn't constant in playing, but it was the one thing I knew about and I could hold a conversation about. And for me, who was quite shy, I didn't have many of those subjects. So it was something that carried me through my teenage years, which everyone has like that one important thing that got them through the kind of confusing teenage to adult life. And then I, I think it just went from there. I'd always have that thing. I always picked up like different sports as well. I'm a fan of the NFL. I'm a fan of baseball. But football was always that one thing that I had a foundation on. And then especially through my early mid-20s, I kind of ramped that up more than anything else that I had. Yeah, it's interesting to hear kind of how similar a lot of these origins are. Joe and myself are both Northwest Londoners as well. And uh, likewise, I'm actually the youngest of four, although I'm not as kind of distanced from my, my siblings. My, my twin brother is 10 minutes older than me, so quite a small gap. Um, but kind of moving on to potentially, we touched on that was all quite a quite a nice story, but a potentially more negative side of your experiences with football. So I guess notoriously, being a female fan can be difficult enough when it comes to having your opinions respected by potentially the wider footballing community. And beyond that, even some people can just genuinely say quite cruel and misogynistic things. So more than just being a fan, Jasmine, you're a football expert and a writer, so you often put your views out there, and it's all good content, but of course people can still be idiots, so have you personally had to deal with situations like this, and I guess what would your advice be to any women looking to pursue a similar path to yours, for instance? 
Oh God, I've had so many. It's not even misogynistic. It can be a whole range of abuse. I think we see every day now that another person of color footballer is being racially abused on social media now. And the anonymity of it doesn't help things, but even if it wasn't there, people would just still be racially abused because that unfortunately is the world we live in. I think unfortunately as well, it's a bit weird that because fans can't really vent their frustrations at matches anymore, that it's even easier to target players and feel more comfortable in doing so in that sort of way. Um, I mean, racism's always been a problem. You just have to look back a couple of years on how much abuse Raheem Sterling's got and the kind of societal factors that has pushed that onto players. And then if we turn it into misogynistic abuse, we had the recent situation with uh, Karen Kearney and the Leeds Twitter. And I can see why women will be put off. And it's not even women who are fans, women who are writers. It's women who are players who are actually in top positions at clubs. Um, and my advice for anyone, anyone who's looked through probably my Twitter has seen me. I'm quite bad at controlling my emotions and I will quite often pick the fight and pick every fight almost um something that I need to get better at doing and my advice for people who suffer the same is honestly it's really not worth it if you feel like you need to speak out do because I feel like a lot of the advice I get is mainly from men saying if you don't have anything nice to say or you know, you should just block them. I don't want to do that because I feel that shows that whatever this person has said has gotten to me. And that's really not what it's about. I want to humiliate them <laughs> because they don't know as much as I do. And they don't know what I am. I, they don't know what I do or what I know. And it is literally my place to put them in their place and to try and leave the ladder down from when I move up so other girls and other people from minority groups can progress the same way I did. It's not easy. It's still not easy. I've been doing it for, I've just been in male-dominated um, businesses for so long now that some it doesn't really phase me anymore. But um, if you know, genuinely know something and love something, keep going. Don't let anyone put you off if you know what you know. And if you want to put them in their place, do so. Well, that's a really strong message. And I'm sure a lot of people would um, you know, really respect you to, to hear you say that, Jasmine. And, but obviously, we spoke earlier as well about the fact that you actually you grew up just down the road from us. We're both from West Hampstead. I'm still in West Hampstead right now. But um, yeah, obviously you grew up in the UK, in London, and you now live in Germany. So whilst there are clear similarities between German and English football culture, what, what are kind of the main differences you've noticed since you've been living in Germany? Oh, see, it's been a bit hard because unfortunately it's been a full lockdown here. So to actually experience the full breadth of football is a bit hard. I would say 
people think English fan culture when it comes to football is, I think they would say it's the best, but they've never experienced what Germany is. And now when I say the best, I might not mean actually in an optimistic way. I'm kind of mean more great. Mm. Like the, it, the kind of ultras fan culture sometimes does have a negative connotation, especially in to a British kind of mind. But really, they're the ones who sometimes organize all this social and social stuff that just helps their fans going, especially during the ghost games here. Um, but again, it, it's greater. There's something not quite, I can't really explain how it goes here. There's, people care and they're so passionate about their clubs. And I think it's more to do with, there's more of a doing culture here than there is in the UK. We're more than happy to sit back and see chaos unfold and not really do anything right about it. Whereas the Germans are so much more pragmatic about it that you can see such great scenes in the world of football here that you wouldn't think would ever happen in the UK. I guess yeah that kind of model they have in Germany of the the fans being so involved in the running of the club actually um, does make a big difference and I guess whilst there's there's like a handful of clubs in the UK some lower league clubs that have it um, you're right. So it's just a, it's a slightly different um, dynamic, the fan um, club relationship over in Germany. But um, I was interested as well, Jasmine, obviously you've moved to Germany. It's a, it's a bit annoying because of the cold COVID situation. It's hard to really get to the games and all of that. But um, would you, I guess we, we thought about, would, would you consider yourself a football chameleon? And what we mean by that is wherever, wherever you live, would you think you, you will always embrace football culture? That's actually a good point because I used to live around, I think it's nine years ago now. I'm getting old and I have to remember what years are, especially in lockdown. Um, I lived in Sweden. I lived in the south of Sweden for a year and I'm still a Malmö fan to this day. So yes, no matter where I be, I will embrace whatever's out there. I think, especially being in England so long before I moved again, I kind of missed what other people had. I mean, I got myself into German football. I've been interested in all leagues, but I kind of turned my attention to German football because I liked the style of play and it was accessible to me and a lot more than the La Liga was or Serie A was. And despite me knowing about those leagues, it wasn't the same compared to German football so luckily I was getting into it before everyone else did during that lockdown period when it was the only football one and um, I think it has made me miss different types of football because now that I'm here and maybe because there's football on all the time at the moment I don't keep up with the championship as much anymore when I used to so often I used to I used to um, follow Derby for some reason especially with what Lampard was doing at the time I was like all right I'll keep an eye on that because that will be quite newsworthy and yeah you get to miss those things when you're away from it but if you're in somewhere else now that I've adopted the Spy Bundesliga for instance and 
you do adopt that kind of feeling when you're there and it is easier to pick up those things when you're in the country but the downside is that you miss the things that back home or wherever you are so yeah it, it, I think I'll always be that person that just immerses everything that I can get my hands on I haven't quite yet managed to do that out here in LA. The MLS is up and coming, but yeah, I, I think I've been to like one Galaxy game. I haven't made it to LAFC, which is actually a bit closer. I hear they have a nice stadium, so I should probably check it out. I think you're probably, well, definitely actually the first Malmo fan that we've we've had on the, the podcast, which is always good. Um, and we won the championship. Yay! Oh, congratulations to, to Malmo. There you go. Um, <laughs> kind of what was that? Uh, Zlatan's original club. So yeah, they've got, they've got some good pedigree. Um, I guess... Back to sort of some of your content that you produce in your writing. A lot of analysis these days is seemingly very stats driven. Kind of stats are like the new holy grail of judging a player and a team's abilities. So I think when we were all growing up, things weren't really like this. You know, maybe you might see some losers like Andy Gray and Richard Keyes drawing some arrows on a, on a video monitor. But yeah, this recent wave of like stats, stats, stats is a bit different. I know that you're yeah quite handy with stats and you like to analyze the action on the pitch in quite an in-depth way. So my question to you is, do you think that some of the romance has been taken out of the game by statistics? Like, am I still justified in watching a game and seeing a player and getting a feeling in my stomach, like this guy could be special? Or is there no proof in the football pudding, so to speak, without stats at the end of the day? I think, I think what's wrong with the modern look of football and football players in the game is that people will often take one whole thing maybe because they're good at it maybe it makes sense to them and then quickly lose all other structures to the game and I think that is what's happened with a lot of tactical analysis and also stats driven analysis and people kind of lose kind of story narratives and eye test there's a big massive argument between eye test and data and the, the simplest thing is you just need to take all of these things into context. Um, I've turned my eye a little bit recently to the more tactical analysis part, but unlike other people, I still like to go through little different things so people don't get too bored with my writing because I've read pages of tactical analysis and data-driven stuff and I'm just at the end of the day going who is this for like honestly who is it for is it for the fans is it for fans of data is it fans of technical analysis is it for are you trying to get a club to like you because a lot of the time either people do what they want to do and that's fine and that's great but a lot of the time that they're publishing this for wider audiences without knowing who their audience actually is so I always like to keep it either brief or try and talk about it in simpler terms because I think you can do good with a little bit of data with you or a little bit of tactical analysis with you and compare that to the eye test that we all know and love if a player looks good yeah then they're probably good in some sort of way that doesn't mean they have to be good all the time um I think a really good analogy of it is Thomas Party and if he's a good deal for Arsenal and you can see he's a great player 
but maybe sometimes the stats doesn't back him up or the other way around. He can still be a great, magnificent player, which I believe he is, but is he the good choice for Arsenal? There's all these different questions that sometimes people may forget to ask and forget to put into their rising. I don't think that 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 means the love's gone. I just think people like to hang on to what they know or something that they've just learned. For instance, XG, it's such a well-known statistic and it has its ways about the game that you can explain better if you hadn't seen the game, but it has its limitations as well. And I think a big view is everyone's using XG and they've forgotten everything else or even the limitations of XG. So there's a a million points to make of that. But I think it can have a good mix of everything. And if you want to niche in one of these subjects, just don't forget of all of the other things that make it the football game that people know, love and like to consume. The interesting thing with data, I heard the the team at Brentford who have a fantastic data department, how how they see it is it's not the data itself, which is, well, the data is valuable, but it's the, it's the questions you're asking and then the data provides the answer. So, you know, you've got to ask the right questions to get the right answers. But <laughs> enough of that. We've now got a game to play. It's, um, it's a game that we often play on the United Mates Football Podcast and it's called... Ooh, uh, yeah. So essentially, Jasmine and Kaitel are going to have to guess which player I'm thinking about after I give them a clue. And then you can both ask me as many questions as you like to basically help identify this player. There's going to be three players in total to guess. So we'll start with the first one. So, God, this is a bit of a long clue. But anyway, for the first one, this player, aside from the country of his birth, where he started his career... He has essentially played his whole career in the Premier League and the Bundesliga. Okay, so he's not English, but he's and he's not German either. Uh, is he European? He is European, yes. Okay, and he's Have... still playing. He's still playing. Yeah, yeah. Is he currently still in one of those two leagues as well? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, would is he in any European competition? Top flight competition, as in Champions League, Europe League. Yeah, that is a really good question. It's embarrassing, Mark. He, they may, I, basically, they're not an English team. <laughs> yeah, that's from the sounds of things. It's a German. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think they, they might be in the Europa League, but um, yeah, they're, they're, I'd, I'd consider them a good German side. Okay. Where he's currently at. Yeah. Yes. Uh, is it Leverkusen? No, no, it's not. It's not is he it. over 25? He is. He, I can tell you, actually, he's 30 years old. Is he a striker? He is not a striker. Is he a left back? He's not. What I'll tell you, he's quite a versatile player, this guy, actually. He can play sort of defensive mid, centre mid, and he can play centre back as well. Oh, wow. Okay. I'll tell you an interesting fact, actually. He, um, He has played for two of the teams you like, Jasmine. Oh, Arsenal and Gladbach? Yeah, and then the Arsenal one's a bit unfair because he was a bit of a more of a youth prospect there. But yeah, I mean it's not Xhaka, but yeah, no. I thought Greenwich. No. Uh, oh, I know who it is. Yeah, I actually do know who it is, and he played for West Ham as well, didn't he? 
He did. He even had a loan spell at Fulham, which I didn't know. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's Havard. Havard Nordvite. Yes, it's... Oh, my God! <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, he's at, um, a, a Hoffenheim in the Europa League. <laughs> I think they still are. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, because I'm a Spurs fan, and Ryan Sessignon's on loan there, and I, I was like, I think he's played in the Europa Anyway, Havard Nordvite, yeah, he... Um, He's had a good career to some extent. He's he, he never seems to do that well in the Premier League, but um, he's he's done well in the Bundesliga. I think it's safe to say. I forgot um. that he existed. <laughs> I I'd like the Arsenal prospects that move on just suddenly become dead to me, and then I completely forget that they exist. He was exciting though when we signed him. I remember thinking like, oh, okay, like this guy, they're talking about him. Yeah, but oh well. Well, but yeah, like you said, Joe, he's sort of sort of gone on. He's you know he's a professional footballer in the Bundesliga, so that's not bad. Yeah, not not bad at all, Kai. And um, here we go with the second one. So, this guy has played the entirety of his professional career in both the Premier League and the Bundesliga, but he's not German or English. Has he played for either Arsenal or Gladbach? No. Okay, <laughs> okay this is harder. Yeah, um, to sort of focus you, he's um. He's fairly young, this guy. Is um, he currently in the Premier League? Or no, he's actually currently in the Bundesliga. Okay. Is he a winger? No. No, he's not. Okay. Um, he is quick, though. Very recently joined the Bundesliga side as well. Is he American? He's not, no. Is he European? Yeah, yeah, he is. Okay. I know many Americans are in the Bundesliga these days, but no, he's a, he's a European guy. You will know him mainly for one team in England, and it's a top six Premier League team where you'll probably associate him most. Uh, oh, wait. Feels like a Tottenham player. No, he's not actually. I mean, he at one point I probably would have taken him in, a few years ago, but um, no, he uh, another top six team was where he kind of has played. Gosh, what even like does the top six mean? You know, like, <laughs> it's so hard. Last year's top six. I'm yeah, gonna... just like a, a, bi- a big team. Everton? No, bigger, bigger than Everton. I'm going to give you one more clue to help a bit. He is Dutch. Oh, possibly might know this. Did he play for Manchester United? Yes. Okay, and Crystal Palace and all that good stuff. Oh my god! But why? Oh no! Um, The Dutch. He's a right back slash defensive midfielder. You you know the guy. You just need the name now. Imagine what? if I just stole the name out of nowhere. Yeah, no, that would be, I would be quite... Swoop in. <laughs> it's not, not Tahit, because Tahit Chong, I think, did go to Bremen this season on loan, but it's... Um, yeah, it's not him. I, uh, Why can't I remember any footballers? He's got a double-barreled surname. Yeah, he does. And didn't he get a Who bunch of... Like, at the moment, oh, oh, wait, I got it. Okay, it's Tim. Timothy Fosu Mensa. Yeah, Timothy oh. Fosu Mensa. Correct. He, um, he actually... Just signed for Bayer Leverkusen. Yeah, he did. Yeah, so quite a good signing in some ways. He was. A, I always thought he was quite good, and then it just didn't really happen. He had some bad injuries. Oh, he was Dutch. Yeah, I know that. I think that's I, the I, stuff that throws me. You could probably think of someone, and then just suddenly, yeah. oh, who's that? And I'm like, <laughs> I was thinking, you don't really. Yeah, you don't. It's not the the natural association because he's only played three times for Holland, and he's never actually played for like Ajax or maybe he was in their youth academy. But um, I've got one more player for you. And again, it's very, very similar clue to the other two. This guy has only played his professional career in Germany and England, and he's German. Oh, I mean, oh wait, I was going to say Robert Huth. That would have just been like my 
just put that out there. Imagine if you got that in one, just like... Yeah, that would yeah no, it's sadly, sadly not Robert, but maybe it applies to him as well. Mustafi came from Valencia, so couldn't have been uh, him. Well, speaking Which of Mustafi, is- did this guy play for Arsenal? No, but he played for their um, most bitter of rivals. Oh. <laughs> oh, it is Tottenham. Um, yeah. How long ago did he go to the Bundesliga? So... He's probably played most of his career in the Bundesliga and he left the Bundesliga in 2019 and has been playing in England since then. Oh, not the way around. Yeah, but not, and, but not for Tottenham. Not for Tottenham, no. So it's another rival of ours. No, 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 as in he, he played for Tottenham previously. He's at another English club at the I mean, moment. Tottenham, Germany, back into England. Who? It is not that? Kevin Prince, Boateng. It is not him. The, the other clue I'll give you, and this might make it a bit easy, but might not. He is partly English as well. Oh, <laughs> I know who it is. But I'll let Jasmine go if she has an idea. No, and I just dropped my phone out. The same oh, time. well, I'll let you, yeah, take your time to, to pick that up. But um, it, it, does he play for Blackburn? Yeah, he does play for okay. Blackburn. Oh, okay, no, I wouldn't have gotten it. <laughs> uh, Lewis Holtby? Yeah, Lewis Holtby. Um, the German half-English footballer who, yeah, is... Well, I mean, he was a really high, highly rated prospect uh, and is, was at Hamburg for a while and he's now at Blackburn Rovers. There we are. He's found his level. Hamburg haven't been good either. So. No, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, oh, it's someone really big if he went from Tottenham, but I forgot. Again, Holtby used to be like, oh, he's going to be the next you-know-who. And then I've just been shocked when hearing that name. I was like, I forgot he existed. Again. I know. <laughs> I remember Holtby having a breakout season at Mainz at the same time as uh, Schürrler did. And I think off the back of that, Schürrler signed for Chelsea and then Holtby ended up at Blackburn, apparently. So <laughs> different pads. Schürrler's actually retired at this point, which is quite a weird story because he's only like 30 years old. But anyway, I'm sure there's that's like another podcast potentially. Um, but moving on to or back to even uh, Arsenal. Uh, yeah, we want to talk about Arsenal because obviously I'm an Arsenal fan and Jasmine is an Arsenal fan too. Joe is not an Arsenal fan. <laughs> Um, it's been a massively up and down season so far for Arteta's team and it looked like we maybe seemed to have turned a corner a few weeks ago and now we're sort of back down to earth again and you know very solidly mid-table so the Europa League is back soon we're out of the FA Cup and the team that Joe supports are in the Carabao Cup final although fortunately they'll lose that as customarily it is Man City's tournament to win so Jasmine what are some realistic goals for Arsenal in the context of the rest of this season, in your opinion? Oh, not many. Um, I would have, I, weirdly enough, around nearly a year ago, I kind of was put this, this similar question of what would you like to see? And it was just as Arteta was improving the squad and then COVID not ruined everything, but put a stop to everything and I've said oh a nice FA Cup run would be lovely and they won the FA Cup and now I can't even say that and I think that would have been our most realistic chances at something the Europa League is going to be very difficult this year just because of all the teams that are in it first of all and then you've got the fact that you don't know what COVID's going to ruin and where you're going to play your games and any disruptions down to that so I wouldn't put that as we can win this I think we've been quite unlucky in the Premier League 
as well. I think stuff like David Luiz's red card when against Wolves in that first half, we were pretty good. And those are the tactics I want to see going forward. Um, I think we've just been quite unlucky. Away to Villa this season is always going to be a hard match and we just have to see in the coming days. I think at this point I'm reserved to trying to get into the Europa League, but I think that also might be a bit too much for us at the moment. I think I'm kind of disappointed with the transfer window and not getting a left back in because we got rid of Kolasinac, which... I mean, yeah, he's not first choice, but he's at least the left back in a in a second string squad. So the fact that we couldn't get a left back in despite getting rid of one is a bit disappointing and is actually, you can see that Cedric is not a left back, so it's not his fault if he's made a mistake in a left back position. But yeah, I think... Europa League is the best that I'll hope for. Um, I won't hope for the Europa League itself because I think it might just be too much on us. But, you know, Arteta excelled in the FA Cup when he was down and out. Uh, I used to work in the gambling industry for quite a long time and Arsenal's odds for that competition, they were the far outsiders. So, yeah, anything's possible but I'm just kind of reserved to hopefully qualifying for the Europa League. Mm, Yeah especially as you mentioned kind of us shipping out a few players during the window and not necessarily adding the depth where Europa League has traditionally the past few years been a competition for us where we've used those fringe players to have success in the competition now we don't even have those fringe players so if anything we're just going to be getting fatigue added to our Premier League squad but I guess we'll see we'll see if those the boys can pull it together. Yeah, what's interesting, Kai, that you mentioned about, I guess, in January, the rebuild has begun in a sense with shipping the likes of, or Ozil, but Ozil Saga has finally ended, yeah, Mustafi's gone, a few Kolasinacs on loan. But um, Jasmine, in the summer, what do you think are the next steps for Arsenal and Mikel Arteta? As in, obviously, there's probably a few more players in the squad that need to go. Who, who, are the, who What are the sort of key positions you need to bring players in? Obviously, we're bearing in mind that COVID screws everything up and might make transfers more difficult. But essentially, if you were in charge of Arsenal and you could do things in the summer, what, what do you think needs to be done? Ooh, I think it's dependent on... I think we have a lot of good quality youth at the moment and this between now and summer is if they can really step up in the Premier League. Um, You saw Joe Willock scoring on his debut for Newcastle. Um, Just the likes of those, if they are ready to make that step up into the first team. I think a lot of my personal transfer interest is resting on that. I think we... Arsenal have made a lot of bad business and have failed where others have excelled, as in buying gems within the league that are already experienced. And I don't mean buying Willian. (laughs) I don't mean, I mean proper younger gems that can really shine and adapt a bit like what Liverpool did with, okay, Virgil van Dijk cost a shed load, but they did the same with Mane. They, you can pick up little talents from the league 
from the likes of Southampton, maybe not Everton anymore, but lower in the table teams that have youth that can shine and fit into the league and have the minutes and experience already. So I would be hoping to buy more of those players because I think the kind of Thomas Party saga, although he is such a good quality player, seeing the money go towards him in that sort of way, I wonder if there was anyone more in that position that we could have gotten from the league or just bought a bit better. I am kind of encouraged by Arsenal's loaning um, deals at the moment. Uh, Matt Ryan is um, more than capable enough second keeper, and I think he would be a good a good choice for permanent second keeper if he's not looking to be a starter all the time. Um, that does make me wonder what the hell went on with when buying Runison. But it's just loans like that. Martin Odegaard, like, he's such a talent and I wouldn't really ever thought of him being at Arsenal. So I would like to see if that got, like plays off well as well. Um, but, you know, there, there's so much talent and it's just balancing that and seeing if those youth like Inketia will like, actually do make the same step up as, as Saka or ML Smith-Rowe has done. Um, because I think a lot of it depends on that more than anything. You mentioned um, Matty Ryan and, and Martin Odegaard, um, another player that we were kind of seemingly looking at during the window, I think, in Odegaard's position was Julian Brandt, supposedly, in the Bundesliga. Well, let's hope Odegaard kind of is less of a Dennis Suarez kind of January loan signing and more of something, you know, something more successful. But um, in terms of Brandt or just in general prospects within the Bundesliga, I think we even picked up uh, Omar Rekic from Berlin, uh, a young centre-back. So there's so much talent out there. Now that you kind of have your eyes more firmly on the Bundesliga than you've had in the past, are there any hidden gems that have been flying under the radar that, that either Arsenal would be smart to pick up or just in general are going to go on to bigger and better things? I think... The hardest thing about the Bundesliga is once a youngster is known or you can see their talent, everyone knows them. In the in the case of uh, Stuttgart, so many young players, everyone knows exactly which player it is. And despite them not doing great at the moment, I mean, they're still a promoted team that's outplaying them like themselves. And I think they are really excelling. So I put this up quite a while ago now maybe a year ago that um players like from Gladbach Dennis Zakaria just a great addition centered midfielder that would have done amazingly at Arsenal but now Man City have been rumored to like him too um you've got players like Turan player they're already known those those are what you would in Turan's case be known as young and he's already known you, that there's just so many talents to look from. Well, Turam that, was, sorry to interrupt you, he was already known before he was a footballer because of his dad. Dad, yeah, yeah everyone had forever, that. Idea. Yeah. <laughs> he, he fits that team like a glove. And um, I think the, the brand thing was quite exciting just because of the, uh, the price that was going around him at the time, which was untrue. Um, I'm still not sure where that really low price came from. Um, but if you see anyone probably in the top flight going for that much, 
you just get them. <laughs> like they're, what's the, they're probably cheaper than anyone of the same talent in the UK. So, but yeah, it's going to be hard. That's a good point, actually. It's going to be harder because of the new Brexit rules. So getting younger talent that maybe have not broken through um, their national team or the, the parent team that they're at at the moment is going to be harder. So I would expect um, probably more South Americans, more Brazilian teams, the players picked from there because the the rules in the Premier League have kind of introduced to get talent from there. So we could see a shift in market. That'd be quite exciting in some ways, a few more, a few more <laughs> South Americans in the Premier League. Um, but um, we've just got a final few questions for you now, Jasmine, before before we end today. And um, one of the issues that we wanted in football that we wanted to d- discuss with you is mental health. And um, I guess before we go into mental health, when we look at the Black Lives Matter campaign at the moment in football, it has... To some extent, it's come under scrutiny because there's the debate about whether it's a token gesture. Is it? Is it what positive change is coming from it within football? And then I guess in England at the moment, um, with the FA Cup especially, there's the Heads Together campaign, which Prince William um, is sort of the figurehead for, which is, I mean, it's, it's really focused from what I can see more on men, I think, than, than sort of everyone. But it's about kind of bringing awareness and acceptance to the issue of mental health and making sure people who like football are, you know, willing to to talk about it in the way that perhaps they talk about their football team. But um, what do you think about initiatives like the Heads Together campaign in the UK? Do you think they are, they are making positive change and they are sort of making people speak more openly about mental health? Or do you think within the context of football in the UK, we've um, still got some way to go before the sort of conversation is more, more widely spoken? I think, unfortunately, people, I think there's a lot of good campaigning that's about and Heads Together is a brilliant campaign and so is Black Lives Matter. But as you said, a lot of it does seem, especially from a viewpoint from a person of colour or someone who's suffers from mental illness, that is just a token gesture. Um, I think in terms of raising awareness, this both campaigns are great but unfortunately when we single things out to just football without realizing it's a whole society problem and the whole society has to change to make sure that these are greatly the the stigma around it becomes more open and it's less stigmatized it's always gonna fail at that final hurdle I mean talking about mental health problems is great and I do it a lot for me it's more of getting stuff off my chest and also kind of I I have a problem with looking for acceptance and I guess trying to explain myself all the time is a way of trying to seek acceptance so for me it has different contexts of when other people speak out because they're feeling low and they don't know what to do with about it um I think there's a point of if everyone talks about it if everyone tries to get awareness and everyone realizes that they have a problem what what can they do from there waiting lists on the NHS are unbelievable and they've probably worsened under COVID I was fortunately in a position where I could get private mental health. 
but not everyone's in the position to do so. Um, and it's the same with footballers. A lot more f- footballers have psychotherapists, psychiatrists in their club or they hire in and they can seek help. And I think despite there being such a gratitude in opening awareness and trying to make this less stigmatized unless we take it head on at government level and society level that doing this just in football is always going to falter as you said as well there's more of an emphasis on men and men are less likely to probably talk about it because of you know society um but there's so there's so little resources when we're talking about women's football as well and their mental health there's there's just not enough being done at so many different stages of football and life and etc etc that it's never going to work unless everything is going to be overhauled so I, I have no problem with campaigning for awareness but one day it's all going to trickle down to what's next. Make a really good point about it being, you know, inevitably it is, it's a societal issue. And at the end of the day, you know, footballers are just people too. So it really is a societal issue. I guess the one distinction perhaps is maybe the, the, the type of pressure that, that people are under given kind of the field of work that they do. And obviously kind of the amount of football that's being played right now is ironically like quite a nice escape for most of us because we can just watch it and it's you know during the quarantine gives us something to do but for these footballers it's a job it's work they're going to work and they're arguably going to work more than ever because of the schedule that they kind of are subjected to and you know just the the amount of money at stake whatever there's a lot of pressure on these guys so it seems like you're calling for quite a radical overhaul of the approach to mental health in society in general but if we are accepting that maybe there is a slight difference for people who are under certain pressures what do you think it would look like within football for improvements to be made? You've mentioned clubs having their own psychiatrists, players having psychiatrists. Does there need to be an independent body within football that kind of oversees all of this to make sure that everyone is taking it as seriously as they need to? Or I guess whether or not it's a yes or no answer to that, what do you think needs to happen? What would it look like? I think that there there are avenues for players to independently to get help. And I think that's an amazing thing, but I do think there needs to be club and culture change in clubs as well, that um, you can feel, and I, it's a lot of, uh, in loads of our workplaces that you can feel to go and speak out and for help. And because there's problems that we are all going to face whether you're a footballer or not there's going to be illnesses and deaths and things that everyone suffers from but I can see how footballers may not go and tell their club look this has happened I don't know exactly how to deal with it in fear of you know being ostracized from the team or whatever and that doesn't only go for football players it's coaches it's it's management, it's club staff who need to be there all the time. And I think there needs to be a little bit more openness that things are going to happen and you're going to need to ask for help. You'll need need time with your family, especially now in COVID. And I think there is also an argument, despite the money, 
that footballers get, people also need to know that footballers, as you said, are human. They can catch COVID and they can catch long COVID. And, you know, you don't know if their career is going to be all right ever again. They have to go work. They have to interact with God knows how many people every day. And then the ones who have to fly to these countries are, they are putting themselves at risk, just as many other people are. They don't have the luxury to work from home like me. (laughs) And, you know, they still have families that they could bring COVID to. And there needs to be some acceptance that they might not deal with it in the same way that we expect them to. I don't, I don't have an issue that if clubs can buy vaccines for their players, I do not see an issue for them receiving it before the majority of people do, just because they're the ones who have to travel and have to be there. And I think that is quite a controversial point. I don't believe that, that they should be ahead of loads of vulnerable people because they get tested three times a week. But when you're flying and your your job is relying on your physical health, there needs to be some acceptance that they will probably need to be vaccinated more than the people who aren't vulnerable and are working from home. Hey, it's fascinating. You know, you could you wouldn't necessarily call footballers like frontline workers or anything like that, but to an extent, like we've mentioned, they are really providing quite an important means of entertainment and distraction during during this time so it's all very relevant and powerful and kind of yeah like you said even controversial stuff depending on whose kind of opinion it it is but i think before we try to tackle even an even bigger issue than that it might be a good place to to wrap things up for today so i do want to say thanks to my co-host joe as always and then a very special thank you to our guest today jasmine barber we've really enjoyed having you hope you enjoyed yourself as well and how can our listeners kind of find you, follow you and pay attention to, to your work that you've got coming out in 2021? Main port of call would be my Twitter, which is underscore Jasmine Barber. And then I've got a link in my bio to my Medium page where I do kind of tactical stuff and I'll keep you all updated from there. Well, lovely. Thanks again, Jasmine. As far as our end of things, if you want to follow us and listen to the rest of these episodes, we've got more interviews, match recaps, articles that are coming out. The best way to do that is to follow our social medias, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. That's at UnitedMatesFP. And if you do want to put any faces to these voices, you'll find us on YouTube as well. That's United Mates Football Podcast. Until next time, everyone, take care of yourselves and take care of each other too. Goodbye.